Straight talk is defined as speech that is very honest and direct. And straight talk has always been our focus since we launched Tip That Scale in December 2022. Today's episode, yeah, there's no agenda. There's no planned topic to discuss. We're just giving you straight talk about wealth, entitlement, disinformation, business decisions, and blind trust. Welcome to Tip That Scale. Everybody keeps saying, oh, we're getting back to a sense of normalcy. We're never going to be back to normal, especially after COVID. But now we have all these other extenuating circumstances and issues that are adding to the stress level, our general well-being, all of the above. And people don't know how to manage. They don't know how to manage stress. People want to be in control, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to be in control. Very true. It's that flight or flight moment kind of thing too. When you subject even people or animals or anything to a certain level of stress, there's two different things that happen. It's either you're going to fight back, kind of the loud quitting kind of thing, or you're going to run the quiet quitting piece. Or you you freeze. Or you freeze. Kind of like, you know, a squirrel or a rabbit or whatever. We try to put ourselves above the animal kingdom in so many different ways, saying we're better and we're civilized. But inherently, our instincts take over when we're put into a certain level of stress. This kind of teeters away from the stress factor piece, but I saw this statistic the other day that was specifically talking about the current state of income for an individual per capita right now. And they were comparing it to the Great Depression which is historically known as the worst economic period for the U.S. An individual's net income during the Great Depression was $4,880 per year. In the grand scheme of things, that doesn't seem like much, but if you count that, take that into account to inflation of where we're at right now, that's $88,000 a year. The average person right now Or not even right now because they haven't done the consensus, but from 20, I think 2019, 2020 was 31,000. If you take that into consideration and take inflation into effect, that's 38,000. Would you say the Great Depression is the worst economic situation that the U.S. has had? Or would you say it's right now where people are earning $50,000 less per person or 30% less? I would still say it's the Great Depression. And because of how it affected everyone and yeah. and also for a number of other reasons too there were less millionaires thinking about the industries that that were in play at the time smaller dependencies on multiple industries where now we actually do have multiple industries i also believe if we add to it there is a social social aspect of it as well from the depression and also looking at the level of communities and cities and how the, the infrastructure of those cities. Think about Chicago, New York during the Great Depression, or what, of course, what we learned because we can't talk about it from experience. Those cities weren't completely built, not like what we have today. And then also thinking about the level of resources that are available today versus then. I know what you're saying. I don't know that it's truly an apples to apples comparison. It's an interesting conversation for sure, but I I still think the depression was the 
worst. Granted, yes, I, I do agree with you in regards to the availability of goods and supplies and things like that. And the count for inflation during that time was also massively high. But I'm just talking about just the net income and the survivability of a person. And over the decades, we've actually started making far less than what we've actually done or what we have in the past. And what I mean by that is goods haven't necessarily become cheaper. They become more expensive. The rate of inflation has climbed faster than the rate of income of a person, like earning potential. And the the wealth gap has just gotten larger since the Great Depression. Like you said before, there's just not a lot of millionaires out there. There wasn't that many people doing all of that. But in the grand scheme of things, compare a millionaire to a billionaire. It's massive. And now you've got certain companies that are worth trillions. And now you've got people that are pushing on the borders of being like 300 billion. That's the, the amount of money that that is. It's mind boggling. Yeah, I think everybody's seen the TikTok videos of, you know, the person counting grains of rice based on a person's net worth. When you when you have to get multiple bags of rice, not just one or two, but multiple bags of rice to count one person's net worth mm-hmm. per grain of rice, that is insane. And a lot of those individuals, and again, you know, they did their due diligence and they worked their butt off and did what they had to do and got to where they're at. But did they? Anyway, that's another conversation. It, it, Exactly. To them at this point, it's not even about survivability. It's not even about making a comfortable life. It's a competition of who can make more. And then they have bragging rights over it. And, Ooh, look who on top of the Forbes list and this and that. And their whole objective is to siphon cash outside of the general public into themselves. And then they pay far less in taxes. The other day, put out a tweet saying, I'm going to be paying 11.3% of my net income in taxes. I think he said not 11.3%, $11 billion in taxes, which equated out to like 3.8% of his total net income that came in for that year. When most people are paying at least 33%. Exactly, from 22% all the way up to 37%. Help me make sense of that shit. Uh, You know, I don't mean to cuss, but come on now. When we're talking about it from the standpoint of who's making the money and the income of the average Joe or Joanne, Mm -hmm. the issue is there is no equity. There is no fairness. I always say it like this, unless you experience it, you don't know. So it's easy for a lot of people to say, especially a lot of people with a lot of money. And many of them who have gotten wealthy tend to forget where they came from and how difficult things were in the beginning. And granted, I know I don't like to be in folks' pockets because I don't like people in mine. However, when you are at that that level where you are a CEO, you're a celebrity, you are someone that's dependent on other people for your well-being, which is very true, then I, I do think about it. And the fact that you can go in, you can pay cash up front for, first of all, you don't need credit. And I'm not going to go down the Dave Ramsey school of thinking, but for a lot of people who are buying homes, who are Mm -hmm. uh, buying cars, all of the above, they are dependent on a credit-based system where debt can be the issue. Same thing with college and paying for college, where there are a lot of people, which this goes to that, oh my gosh, should, should student loan borrowers 
be forgiven of $10,000, just $10,000. And that's the, the, the greatest debate. They wanted to put it up to the Supreme Court to make a decision. Are you kidding me? All it goes back to is people don't care about people. Uh, well, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that. I think it is. A lot of people don't care about people. Yes, but it depends. Well, it depends on the level that you get to when you stop caring, if you think about it. So we know for a fact that if the general public was to speak out regarding this and as a collective start controlling certain parts of the economy or certain parts of the government, we damn well could. We have the ability to do so. The problem is, is you have a select group of people that are, are politicians or lawmakers that are too busy trying to appease the elite and they don't want to piss them off. Because they're fearful that they'll just take their money elsewhere. When you when you have a certain level of wealth, borders are non-existent to you. It doesn't matter where you go operate. It doesn't matter where your headquarters are. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Think about what Toyota did not too long ago with their entire North American HQ. California started putting some crazy stipulations and all that other stuff. They moved their entire HQ from San Francisco to my backyard right here in Plano. Because Texas gave them better tax cuts. It was Los Angeles. Or LA, yeah. I mean, I thought it was San Fran, but out of Cali into Plano. And like when you when you get to that point, it doesn't matter because again, you're not worried about the general public. They just knew that they were gonna get hammered in taxation. So they're like, screw this, we're going to Texas. It wasn't necessarily that California was putting on a lot of stipulations. Texas started offering offering more we're talking about taxation and all of the above that's what they were offering it wasn't on the california end it was texas that was making it making it sexy for them to move from a financial oh, definitely. standpoint that's what i mean is, is that you know corporations and then they say i hate this term but it was a business decision we don't want you to take it personal yeah. listen man Thank if you affect my wallet in any way shape or form that is a personal vendetta i'm sorry what people don't understand is, is when you say it's a business decision, it's a cop-out. You're gaslighting. I don't care how big of a corporation you are or how little of a business you're running. When you start putting terms and words together to kind of put it in your favor so you don't look bad, gaslighting. But what I was saying again is, is that when you're, when you're at a certain level of wealth, you forget. And like you said, you forget where you came from. And I'll give you a prime example. A few months ago, somebody was very that's very close to me, and I've known them for years. They've had a very comfortable life their whole life. But earlier on in their lives, it was a struggle for them just because of the situation that their family were in, not financially, but just everything else. And they lived in a certain area of town, not even the worst, that they kind of understood what the struggles were. And then they had this group of friends that kind of came up with them. And then this particular person, they haven't really had to pay a bill in their life. Even to this day, they still don't really have bills. Kind of asked them. I was like, man, it's not that your old friends are angry at you or anything like that. I was like, you're just at a position in your life where you don't relate to them. They have bills. They have things that they have to take care of. They have families that they have to earn for. I was like, when was the last time you actually paid a bill? Even at this age. When was the last time your wife paid a bill? And I'm not saying it in a bad way. It's just, it gets to a point when you can no longer relate to certain people that are around you. It's not that you forgot. It's just that you don't understand the troubles that other people are going through because you're worried about your own issues. Super wealthy people, they look at problems in a very different way than we would. 
what we would consider a problem to them. It's kind of like, well, why don't you just go do this or go do that when it's not in our capability to do those things. And so it's a very big disconnect. You know, that show undercover boss, mm-hmm. you ever seen that? Yeah. I love that show because you could tell just how disconnected the CEOs and some of these major leaders of these corporations are from what their average employee has to go through on a day-to-day basis. It's that kind of situation. Granted, there are some employees that probably shouldn't be in any kind of customer service role, period, but there are some good ones. If they were to take themselves and put themselves in their in our shoes for a day, you know how crazy they would make themselves? They just don't know that. And we talk about Elon Musk as a godsend and he came up from nothing. That had an emerald mine. Oh, so, that's, well, and that's the thing for a lot of, a lot of people who are CEOs and maybe I say CEOs because some of them did work to get there. Absolutely. But then there are yeah. some that I need people to do more research and understand If you're given a million dollars when you turn 18 and you can immediately invest it, you can buy real estate, you can buy art. Granted, you're not going to buy a Van Gogh with a million because that's not going to cut it, but you can buy some art. Hell, you could buy an art gallery. It's really setting people up for success where for other people, there is no setup. There is no Mm -hmm. up. There is no, and this is why the conversation of generational wealth is very interesting because people don't get it. They don't understand that it can be challenging for someone who works for the city as a bus driver or a garbage man or a clerk typist to provide generational wealth for their family. Can it be done? It would take scrimping and saving. I'm gonna have to play the good times theme song here, but yeah, it's not easy. So for most people, it is that scraping by, but the flip side is so many people look up to wealthy people without understanding what did it take for them to get wealthy? Did they really make it on their own or did they have that hands up? And for the other piece of that is when they got wealthy, did they reach back? Because this is something that I've always learned. Whenever you get someplace, reach back and help somebody else up. And not just help somebody else up, but think about who you're helping. And there's a lot of nepotism. So there's that too. Oh, well, I think we've seen a lot of that just in the last two years, but like it's fun. I mean, and so what I mean by that is, is, you're right. And that's one of the reasons why I hate social media. Again, I don't hate social media. I just hate what it's become from what it's supposed to be or what it was meant to be. Well, what was it meant to be? It was a way to transfer information for a lot of different people and a line of communication. Not this, but I'm just going to say, man, there's so much BS on social media that it drives me crazy. You see people living false lives and you see people like taking pictures on top of cars that don't belong to them acting like it's theirs just so they can get more views. And it's just become this weird level of bullshit. Is it? I mean, majority of the stuff that you see on there, you can't even, it's it's no better than the mainstream news at this point. What are we paying attention to? And then, you know, we were looking and like you were saying that people are looking up to all these influencers or all these people that are super wealthy and all this other stuff. Why? It's because of the stuff that they have, not the things that they've done. Hold on. 
For some, it is the things that they've done. When we think about some people in the entertainment industry, sometimes yeah. it's less about what they have and more about the attention, the adoration. So there's that. I think when you're talking about social media and we're talking about the transfer of information, what I believe, and granted, there's a good and the bad and people all use it differently. How do you get attention? How do you get views? It's a reflection of our society. That's all. Yeah. So when we're talking about, and I think about young kids up to older folks who are on social media sharing, look, I'm going to share my chicken and waffles. I'm going to share, I'm going to share a pretty drink. I'm going to share pictures of my family. When I was at my cousin's wedding recently, I'm going to share that. I'm going to share my vacation, but I share that not to say, look, I'm fantastic. I share it as inspiration. I'm thinking about my group, my people, my, my followers, who I would say my friends, those mm -hmm. people, and granted, friends and followers are different on each social media platform that I'm on. So I think about those who are going to engage with my content, who want to see and hear from me because I can't talk to everybody on the phone and they know how I feel about texting. But it's a reflection of our society. So all social media is doing is highlighting the issue that was already there, the issue that was already created to give people that sense of, I want to be seen and I want to be seen because I'm not seen. It has everything to do with how society has created this separation of the importance of work, the importance of having stuff, the mm -hmm. importance of consumerism, the importance of capitalism. All social media has done is taken that and shine a bright light on it, making that a reflection. People don't need attention on social media if they're getting attention in their families, if they are comfortable with their friend set, if they have a community. And I think that more than anything is what has been missing for a long time, that sense of, oh, yeah. I think that's what people are missing and that's what they crave. When we talk about followers and likes and followers and engagement, all they're looking for is, and I'll say this for myself, it's looking for that sense of community, that sense of I have something to say and I want to have a platform because I have no one here around that's going to listen to a certain extent. I'm talking more about the disinformation aspect of things. There's people up there on a certain pedestal that just, they, they don't do any kind of research and they throw their opinion out and then other people start forming opinions based on those opinions. And that's- and that's always been yeah. the case too, though. You know, I think yeah. it's a propaganda machine and when propaganda, this is going back to ancient Greece with propaganda. Well, propaganda is intentional. It is intentional to sway the public into a direction of what your opinion should be or what the overall state of society should be. What I'm talking about right now is that there is so much disinformation about so many different topics that are being spit out. We're not meant to have that much information. I think that's intentional as well. I think a it lot. It might be. Because we know that there's always someone that's planting a disinformation seed. 
Yeah. They do that to kind of pick up speed. And unfortunately, people know that people aren't going to do research. They know their they their trust factor. And it goes back to community. Looking at someone thinking that they're not, I don't want to say a God, but basically a God, and they can do no wrong, whether it's because of money, whether it's because they're on TV, whether it's because they, they play a game, professional sport, they look to them because of this talent. But what's interesting is it was opportunity for, you know. Well, I, and I'm talking about it again from a, like a, a, from a human standpoint as a species. And this is what I'm talking about. In such a short period of time, Think about 200 years ago when people were expanding throughout the U.S., even living in within their own cities. They only knew what was going on between a mile and two miles of themselves. It took almost another 150 years for radio, mm-hmm. for people to under, like under, to get information from what's happening from one part of the country to the other. It took another 10 years for us to understand what's going on to the other parts of the world. And if you think about what's going on right now, and now even what was going on back in that time, it was regulated. So like if it was disinformation or anything like that, it was struck down. But granted, we didn't know if it was disinformation or not. Kind of like that radio show that popped up with the world of worlds that freaked out everybody thinking that aliens were actually coming down and we were all about to die. That was a social experiment that they did. It wasn't just a radio show. It was intentional to see just what the impact of media had on people. Because people dependent on that for information to understand what was going on in their day to day. Like you had people freaking out when that show came out, running out, trying to grab groceries and actually checking outside their windows. Like what the hell is actually going on? And where are the aliens? Now (laughs) you don't know what to believe. You've got Joe Schmo out in the middle of a pond somewhere and just because they don't like something gets out there and starts bashing something. And then all of a sudden they have this crazy massive following now you got a million people that don't like the exact same thing that this person does just because somebody said something. I, what I mean is, is that people don't understand the power of their own voice. Once you put something out, it's out, regardless of who you think heard it, didn't hear it. And a lot of these individuals that are doing these types of things, the wealthy, the people that live in like different areas, like, it's very hard for them to relate to who you are. Just because you want something doesn't mean that you're capable, again, never mind, wrong phrase of words. Just because you want something that someone else has, you don't know how they got it, number one. And if they did get it in a certain way, doesn't mean you're going to be able to get it the exact same way. Your path is different. The way you do things is different. The way you kind of put yourself and hold yourself is different. When you try to mimic someone else, that comes out. When you try to build something just like someone else did, like... All these influencers coming out saying, oh, here's a good side hustle and you can do this. It is human nature. Human nature. Once you figure something out and you know that it's able to put you way up here, why would you go tell a million other people how to do the same thing? Because now you've just created competition for yourself. It makes no sense. But hold on. A couple of things. So number one, competition is healthy. I'll go back to my analogy of there are how many brands of bread and types of bread and mustard and all that. So, But they're owned by the same five or six companies. Not necessarily. No. You go back. No, I'm saying not. Yeah. I'm not talking about large commercial. If you look yeah. community-wide, you're going to have maybe the large ones, but you're going to also have a lot of local as well. 
So that's what I mean. There are how many different brands of mustard and from store to store. And when we start talking about organic, blah, blah, blah. When you say people don't understand the power of their own voice, I think they do. That's what drives social media. That's what drives disinformation. People do know the power of their own voice. That's the reason people keep talking. And hell, that's the reason we're on a podcast right now. I look sometimes and I think, why are we doing a podcast? Because there are so many out there. Why are there so many books? Because it's not necessarily, and what I've learned for me is my actions are meant for me first. And mm-hmm. if I write a book, it's meant for me first. This podcast yeah. is was meant for me first. When I share a social post, it's meant for me. I'm talking to me first and foremost. The other thing too is this is all a social, I think this is all a social experiment. We don't know how to read the room. Again, people are looking for connections. So when you have someone who's on a social platform and spewing, I'll just be very blunt spewing a lot of hate all they're doing is connecting to someone to say yes i have the same level of hate you are my person and what it comes back to is blind trust people have an element of blind trusting people based on the criteria that's important to them they don't necessarily want to take the time to get to know and say "Eh, should i trust this person it's blind trust. Mm-hmm. 100% and, agree. And that feeds all of the drama. I think about being in a company. Well, I was at a company and pretty high up person told me something. And I said, well, before I do that, let me let me do my research. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? They did not like me after that, which lets me know they didn't like me before that either. Because you know what? That person took it negatively because they were like, oh, you don't trust me. Their response was, oh, you don't trust me. And that's how they reacted. Well, first, you're right. But also I need something for me. And maybe that's how I learned, which is how it is. And because my name was going to be tied to the project, I wanted to make sure all my ducks were in a row, all my bases were covered. But they didn't take it that way. And that's on them. I can't help you with that. That sounds like a personal problem. But First of all, somebody has to ask you, don't you trust me? Or why don't you trust the process or this and like that? They know that they're pushing you in the wrong direction. And if you have to use that kind of terminology and they themselves know that what they're asking you to do is probably unethical or not in your best interest. I don't want to mention names of organizations. But I, you know, I heard this a lot probably the last three, four years. And when you start hearing stuff like that, you're kind of like, well, because you said that, now I'm questioning the fact, should I? Why would that even come up? I just want to double check. You hired me to do a task. You hired me to complete something. Let me do it the best way that I know how. You hired Mm -hmm. me because of my skills. You didn't hire me to do it your way. In this situation, I think we're both correct and we could both be incorrect. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of aspects, negative aspects of social media. And again, it's not the social media is not a completely bad thing, but what it's kind of turned into from just what it is. Again, this is my own opinion. I don't 
expect other people to follow along and do all this other stuff. It's just what I've seen. And from what it is right now, it's just that you don't know what to believe and what not to believe, especially when you know something is incorrect and people are still spewing BS about this particular thing. You're kind of like, the F, right? Like, what? So what do you what do you do when you see that? Do you comment? Do you go back and do you ask questions? See, I'm one of those people when I see something I know is incorrect, instead of me saying you're wrong because that just creates a firestorm of a whole lot of other problems. What I normally do is I ask questions like, "Can you tell me your source? Where did you find this information?" And I love when people now say, "Oh, Google it." Well, people don't like to Google because Google it means research and then what are you researching? Is it a peer, peer-reviewed article? There's so much out there that's now open source uh-huh. where other people can say, I can go in and, and write something about you if you had a Wikipedia profile that I know and or that I think I know. That's the thing. Now, are we talking about personal or professional? Both. I've seen this in- I think it's both. See, for my own peace of mind, I let them to continue. I allow them to continue believing what they believe. And what I mean by that is, is I don't want to create a conflict for myself. Now, if it's something that I just strongly believe in, yeah, then I'll push back and be like, "Hey, look, you got to explain to me where you got this information from in order for me to come and believe you." Until you do that, I have a whole lot of other information that tells me otherwise. Professionally, whether you say do you trust me or not, I'm going to double check, regardless. I don't teeter-totter around when a decision needs to be made or an action needs to be taken. I try to get as much information as I can, as fast as I can to make a proper decision and then go from there. But if I know information that is being brought to me is inaccurate, we're going to try something else. Personally, I don't see the point in arguing with every Joe Schmo that's out there for incorrect information. I just, it's for my own peace of mind because there's going to be so many battles that you have to fight. We've kind of talked about this before. Not in the same context, but we talked mm-hmm. about it in the review process. Sorry, we talked about it in the interview process about racism and discrimination. Mm-hmm. And do you go back? Do you let someone know? And it's not the same, but it's it's similar because I get mm-hmm. what you're saying about for peace of mind, it doesn't make sense to argue with everyone on social media when they're sharing disinformation, bad information, when they're sharing something that's incorrect incorrect period and i get that but i also think when we know better we do better how do we help others we're mad at the disinformation but what are we doing it's not like you have to go out and you have to take it on to correct everyone on social media but in many instances it can be helpful to create a dissenting viewpoint so someone else who's reading that post or watching that video And they want to go in and they respond and they're like, oh, wait, it may not be to the person who's posting the information, but for the person who may be looking at it just like you did. And you don't have to do it for everyone. And you don't have to get into, this is one thing too, that people don't, don't understand. Getting into a back and forth written form in social media Mm -hmm. is taxing. Mm -hmm. That's the reason I said, I don't get into that. Instead, I will position it with questions. Where did you find your source? Is this true information? What I've seen is this, and here's my source. And I just leave it at that. Boom. And then I can walk away. And I don't do it for everything, but it gives enough to the person to to discredit what they're doing. That's a good point. You know? I agree with that. 
I feel like the reason we have so much disinformation, the reason it, it, it exists is because good men, what's the saying? Something about, and I'm gonna have to look it up. So the quote is, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. I mean, there are ways to do things. And there are ways to counteract some of the weird stuff that's going on. But I mean, I don't know if it necessarily means to get into the same battle that these guys are in. You're right. Good people should not just sit back and do nothing. But kind of this, what we were talking about with the quiet quitting and, you know, the loud quitting, people are just extremely beat down. They don't know what battle to take up right now. They're beat down from every aspect of their life. They just don't have an outlet anymore. They don't know what direction they need to go. They, they're kind of stuck and they're in this flight or flight kind of situation all the time. And this disinformation BS that's going on right now isn't helping at all. Okay, let's talk about companies asking people to come back into the office. What's the real purpose behind that? It's, it's a business decision. Yeah, but it's bullshit. They want you to quit. They want to create an environment which is not imperative for your success. They want to make it even more stressful and they want to take you to a breaking point when you finally just go to hell it is, I quit. That's one aspect of it. We often look at and hear people that have one absolute. One area that we don't do well in as a society is look at all of the information. I think that's one one piece of it, especially for certain companies, absolutely. Yeah. But I think Look, a, I don't... a lot of them also or are, you know, they have these campuses that cost a lot of money and they're empty. For many, they think bringing people into the office will show it's about culture. No, it's not. Because culture is not about people being in the office. Culture is about the people. That's the other issue that a lot of leaders don't understand. They think they dictate the culture. No, the culture is dictated by your team, the employees. So how do you create and mold that culture to that? You can add to it, but that's where the culture really comes from. And most of the time it's organic. It's not forced. Oh, 100%. I'm going to go back to the whole, why do you want me to come back into the office? And you know how you said they had these big shiny buildings and this sense of presence and, you know, it's our part of our culture to come in. First of all, it is more economical for a business to let people work from home. They make far more money. That's why most startups don't have an office space. When they talk about, well, with the team collaboration and all this other stuff, we're, we're still a global civilization. I had an interview where I asked, I was like, okay, cool. I can come into the office. I have no problem with it. But where's my team? Oh, well, we're spread apart everywhere. So I'm still going to be talking to people on teams. That doesn't make any sense. So what do you want me to sit here for? The other research that has been done is people are far more productive, 20% more productive when they work from home on average. I'm talking about for an organizational thing. People are far more productive. People are far more happy. People are far more willing to do certain things when they work from home because they have their own freedoms. They don't have to sit in traffic for two to three hours out of the day fighting back and forth. They get that time back. They don't have to sit there and appease somebody or Joe Schmo and keep a smiley face all day long just because, you know, I'm at work and I have to and I'm forced to do this. If I don't want to talk to somebody, I don't have to unless it's necessary. You talk about culture. 
you create an environment of animosity. And yes, you do meet friends and people like that when you go to the office, but let me make that about me. I don't have any issues going into the office. Even if I have to come in every single day, cool, I'll come in every day, but let me come in after traffic. Let me spend the first two hours of my day here. Let me leave it. Why does it have to be between this and this? How does that make any sense? One of the comments I made on a post, and it was about work from home, a lot of what people like to comment about is it's good for mental. And I think, yeah, it can be for some. However, mm -hmm. the idea of, oh, you're going to miss out on camaraderie. It's as if they believe that the only group that I engage with on a daily basis are the people I work with. Now, for some people, oh, that may be true. But for most, it's not. By saying that, you're basically saying that I don't have any friends outside of work. People who work from home, they they miss out engaging with people. What about family? People who have families. What about single people who are with their friends? Hello, brunch, dinners, and neighborhood conversations. I know a lot of people in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot to my neighbors, even to the point having drinks, going for coffee, going to dinner, planning a trip to Oaxaca with the neighbors. The people who say that, the people who actually comment and will say that people need to come into the office because they need to be around people and engage. They're talking about themselves. When I read comments on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, I would encourage people to weigh, weigh the comment, weigh what's being said and say, is it them? Are they projecting? Because most of the time it is. And you can tell, if you take some time, you can tell who's projecting or not. As far as work from home, it's it's interesting that so many companies are trying to pull that, especially when they were extremely profitable when everybody was work from home during COVID. Well, the times have changed right now. It's not about like extreme growth and all that stuff right now. It's about downsizing and make doing with what you've got. And so it costs companies an immense amount of money to lay people off. Doesn't cost them if you quit though, apart from production going down. But if that's the general plan in the first place, I remember. That's you know, what I, remember... Said, I don't think it's just about getting people yeah. to quit. I think it it helps, and it helps yeah, for some for some companies, and especially again looking at the companies that. And we said this earlier. A lot of people are trying to get back to normal, and I put that in quotes. The normal that was pre March twenty twenty does not exist. At this time, everybody's scrambling, trying to create a normal, but there's not going to be a normal. We learned too much over the last three years about ourselves, about other people, about organizations. That term in itself is BS, man. Like, who's to dictate what normal is and for who? Being stuck at home and being tied down where we can't go outside and being restricted, yeah, that wasn't normal. But for a lot of corporations, who's dictating what normal is? It's normal for you, not normal for everybody else. Goes back to right? blind trust. It's, yeah. Those are the people who want to dictate what it is. And that's where we've been getting the dissension. We've been getting the fighting against it. We went through the great resignation that made a lot of senior leaders mad. They did not like the fact that people were just resigning. Then you have two years later and companies are laying off. How is that any different? The difference is you weren't in control and you were the recipient of people resigning. 
Now you want to dictate. So when you talk about who dictates who's normal, those are the people who want to dictate what's normal. Yeah. And we know nothing is normal. I think you're absolutely right in regards to senior leaders. At that point, they were calling their workforce lazy and people just don't want to work and people right. don't want to do this. And now they're like, oh, well, now people have too many jobs. Which one is it? We're trying to keep people from having two or three jobs. Who are you to tell me that I can't have one own job? Oh, there's too much money in the market because people are earning too much. That's a bad thing. One of the things that I hated, and there's not a lot of stuff that I hate. I normally say dislike. But one of the things that I hated was during the time of the great resignation, which I always like to call the great awakening. And they were saying that people were lazy. No, I'm sorry. I don't know what people you'd know, but people aren't lazy. And the idea that saying that someone who makes the decision to leave something because it's not serving them, knowing that they would do the same thing. They do the same thing all the time. I would agree that there needs to be a higher level of accountability for these individuals that keep teeter-tottering back and forth on key decisions they themselves make and force other people to accept the ramifications of. This is the other piece of social media and also what's going on with the overall job market right now in the economy. We're not making these decisions. There's a major disconnect between the people of the top 1%, the top 2%, top 3% based on the majority of the rest of the public. If they were in our shoes for one month, screw it, one week, they need to understand what a normal average person goes through and they need to be held accountable for some of these decisions. Like, how do you just lay off 10,000 people and then take out a $15 million or $50 million bonus for yourself because a company's profitable at this point? What? You know why? Again, blind trust. Can we have some straight talk about disinformation and social media? AJ was adamant about his feelings for how social media contributes to disinformation. But social media is, after all, media, and it's our responsibility to weigh what's shared and research it. Be careful of blind trust. Speaking of trust, can we trust you? <laughs> Specifically, can we trust you to like, follow, and subscribe to Tip That Scale? And maybe even follow us on Instagram and Twitter.